Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, along with my co-host Susie Porton. It's time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Susie, it's been a while since we've done this program, yes? Yes. Dr. Green, you just returned from a series of two conferences and two summits in Europe and North America Uh, working with colleagues and teachers and parents on the collaborative and proactive solutions model. Tell us about your experiences. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised you're still upright. uh, Well, you know what? Barely. Um, But not really barely. I'm not complaining. I'm a little tired. Um, But no, there were about, uh, oh, I don't know, hundreds of people in Oslo, Norway, who attended an advanced training on CPS. Mm Mm-hmm. And then about 600 people who attended a Lives in the Balance School Mental Health Summit in Edmonton. And then about 425 or 450 people in Jotebore, Sweden, who attended the first annual um, European Summit on Non-Punitive Non-Adversarial Interventions for At-Risk Kids uh, in Sweden. Um, And then there was the Lives in the Balance Summit a week ago Friday. About 325 people were there. And then, let's see, last week about 250 people were in the uh, school-based mental health summit that Lives in the Balance did in Vancouver, British Columbia. And then I was in Tacoma on Thursday speaking with Michelle Garcia-Winner Uh, about how to uh, combine her social thinking model and collaborative and proactive solutions. It's what I've come to call a travel bender. Um, (laughs) And, uh, well, now things have calmed down a little bit. So um, it was great to be in all of those places and see just how much interest there is in CPS and... um, and in helping kids solve problems collaboratively and in helping kids learn the skills that are on the better side of human nature. Um, And I'm finding that that message is resonating with lots of people out there who are um, worried about the direction things are heading in without being Mm -hmm. specific about anything in particular. Mm -hmm. Well, what I I was lucky enough to attend the uh, 6th Annual Summit for Lives in the Balance. And what hit me was that I was reminded that what is so different about the CPS model and why it works so well, it all comes down to the first word in the model, collaborative. And the model's about working with your child, something you do together, rather than imposing a solution to an unsolved problem in the child. And the model involves identifying and clarifying the concerns of both parties as part of the process and working out a mutually satisfying solution that addresses both parties' concerns. 
And and I can tell our listeners from my experience that it's the collaborative process that is the key. It's obviously important to identify the lagging skills that your children have, but collaborating with your child is so important to the process. And the summit reminded me that the model works because you're working with your child to solve problems and indirectly teach those lagging skills. All good. Um, I think that uh, there are lots of folks who are um, longing for a technology that helps them solve problems collaboratively, and I think there's lots of folks who are longing for a technology that um, helps foster the better side of human nature in all of us. And um, mm-hmm. I'm glad I got to talk about that a little bit during the keynote but there were also some amazing breakout groups at the summit and some great research being presented on what's being done with CPS throughout the world. And if people weren't there, and of course most people who listen to this program weren't there, we anticipate having streaming video of the keynote and the um, uh, afternoon research presentation up on the Lives in the Balance website, probably not too long after Thanksgiving. Now, Susie, we have something exciting coming up. Um, This program is program number 199. This is the 199th edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child, which means that next week will be the 200th segment of Parenting Your Challenging Child. And the question is, what should we do to celebrate? Well, uh, this is not a celebration piece. I think we should celebrate, but I should let people know we are going to be going to a a once-a-month format immediately after our 200th program. So, so uh, Parenting or Challenging Child will start airing only on the first Monday of every month, September through May, still at 11 a.m., but um, we're not going to have it every week anymore. We're going to have it once a month, which I know is going to make some people, you included, sad, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but... Um, We're going to go to a a once-a-month format, but I guess the question is, how should we celebrate next week? Any thoughts? And then we have a caller already. Any thoughts about how we should celebrate? Uh, No, let me percolate on that, Um, and let's take the caller. You percolate on that, and we will take the caller from California, area code 510. You are on the air. What's up today? Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question. Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, I have a question about, um, I have a five-year-old son. Um, I have a question specifically about the lagging skill, difficulty managing emotional response to frustration so as to think rationally. Um, I guess specifically, we're working on plan B. I hope I'm doing it right. With um, playing video games. Uh, but also fitting in the work that I expect. Um, we're working on it as fast as he's willing to talk about it, so we don't have a solution that's working yet. Um, meanwhile, I don't want to fight him on keeping it turned off because that would be plan A. 
making progress on understanding um, his, him and what he wants. But um, instead of having fewer tantrums because we're not doing plan A, um, now he gets frustrated more often at his game multiple times a day and breaks things and hurts me. And I don't know, I don't know if there's something I can put on plan C to reduce those and other episodes that come from that frustration. Well, it definitely doesn't sound like you're going to be able to plan C that because even though your expectation is that there will be limits on the amount of time he's spending playing video games, and even though you've planned seed that so that you're not getting into conflict about that anymore, um, he's still getting frustrated at the game itself and still hurting you. And very hard to put something where people are getting hurt into plan C, which means plan B. So I guess here's the so I don't see how you're going to plan C that if he's hurting you for something that isn't even an expectation that you have of him. Your expectation is that he not hurt you, um, but if he's hurting you because he's getting so frustrated about his video game, you're not going to be able to plan C that I don't think. But so that's the answer to your specific question. My question is this: How long have you been trying to do Plan B on the video game? We're only one weekend. Got it. So that's not that long. Any details you can offer us on what you are learning about his concerns in the empathy step of Plan B about that unsolved problem? Uh, yes. Part of it is um, that he, um, he has a goal uh, he wants to accomplish, and um, I, anything that you know comes in the way of stopping him from accomplishing that goal um he he's just he loses it um, got it and um so he has a goal that he wants to accomplish in the video game yes and is he telling you that he has to accomplish that goal within a within a certain time period he can't stop the game unless the goal is accomplished yeah that's right got it so one question that I would have is, does he have anything more to tell you about it than that? Have you been able to get to the define adult concerns step yet where you're telling him your concerns? Yes. So he, um, what, have you, what have you told him about your concerns? Um, that uh, it, I want him to do his schoolwork and eat and use his brain and his body to play. Um, and All right. So he's here's come the deal. to the but, point where he's willing to stop to eat. Sorry. So he's willing to stop to eat. So your concerns fall into one or both of two categories. So to, to, I don't want those to sound too much like solutions. Why do you want him to eat? I mean, it's an obvious question, but why do you want him to eat? What's your concern about him not eating? So that he doesn't get grumpy. So he doesn't get grumpy. He gets grumpy when he gets tired, and that makes it hard on everybody around him? Yeah. 
because uh, adult concerns fall into one or both of two categories, how the unsolved problem is affecting the kid, how the unsolved problem is affecting other people. So him not eating, it sounds like, would be both of those. I assume that there's something about him not eating that is not good for him, too. Yeah. Um, I assume that there is something about him not doing his schoolwork. What's your concern about him not doing schoolwork? Oh, oh, I thought that was a concern itself. Um, I, I want him to, I guess I want him to learn to, I, don't know, I want him to be ready for first grade. Okay, you're worried that he won't be ready for first grade if he doesn't do his schoolwork, yes? Yes. Just having him do his schoolwork is an expectation, but it's not a concern. Concern falls into one of those two categories, how it's affecting the kid, how it's affecting others, or both. And then your third concern, um, hunger, homework. What was the third one? Sleep. Oh, um, using his brain and body to play. All right. So we're going to have to, that's also an expectation. What's your concern about him not using his brain and body to play? I think I'm going to have to do some pondering on that. Okay. So here's that's the tricky part. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So you want to get concerns on the table, not expectations. And then, have you all gotten to the invitation yet? We did um, once and tried a solution, but so far he hasn't um, been willing to talk anymore about a invitation since we tried one that didn't work. Got it. What was the solution that didn't work? Um, we wanted to do that he would play video games three times a day, anytime he chooses, but for a total limit of two hours. So he, you know, got to start at any time he chose, but then the we weren't able to turn it off. Mom? Got it. Sounds like you have others in the home, yes? Yes. <laughs> got it. Um, so when you signed off on that solution, did you think he could do it? You know, I don't think I did. Got it. So don't you don't want to sign off on solutions that you don't think he can actually do. Um, this is a really tough unsolved problem for a lot of kids and parents because it sounds like he is in front of the video game a ton, and this is going to be a tough one to break. So you don't want to agree on solutions that I, I like the solution in terms of it being mutually satisfactory. I'm not too crazy about it in terms of whether he can actually do it. And so um, what sometimes happens if you sign off on a solution that the kid can't actually do, um, somebody's going to lose enthusiasm for the process. Sometimes that's the kid. Sometimes that's the parent because it makes them feel like the solution's not working. Um, So... Uh, does he feel some sort of guilt because the solution's not working, or is he? What do you think is getting in the way of him giving it a try again? I don't know. 
he doesn't want to talk about more solutions. Uh, Um, you might want to sit down with him and ask him what's making it hard for him to talk about it again. Let him know that the first solution frequently doesn't work um, and that if at first you don't succeed, you go back and try again. Here's my question. Um, what I'd like you to do without you just – I don't want you to say this over the air, but um, do me a favor and go to the Lives in the Balance website and go to the contact form. And let me know where you live in California, because I might have people in your area who might be able to help you out a little bit with this. Okay. Just in case it would be good for you to get some help. Uh, sometimes a third party can be good if a kid and a parent are having difficulty getting the ball rolling together, and that's not a failure on your part or his part. Sometimes it's just the way it is. But there might be some folks. I've got a meaningful number of providers in California who might be able to help you, and I'm happy to provide their oh, – truth is, if you uh, just send me – some of them are not on the cpsconnection.com website just yet. So if you go to the Lives in the Balance website, go to the contact form, uh, shoot us a message. It will get to me eventually, and I'll get back to you if I have anybody in your general area who might be able to help you out. Okay. Thank Does that you. sound good? You bet. So, well, um, don't, don't, don't get. Let's see if Susie has anything else to add. Susie, go ahead. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're going through a tough time, and um, I know I know firsthand what that's like. My my son was scary and throwing things and hurting me. Um, and the great thing about the model is that it it offers hope that you're viewing your child differently um you know it just uh try not to get discouraged that it takes time sometimes i found that i learned more from the unsuccessful conversations that took place um and that um as dr green said you know it's not unusual to have to go back to the plan B drawing board, you know, for one or two more conversations uh, to figure out a mutually satisfying solution. Okay. But, you know, it's also not your son's idea of having a great time. Oh, I know, and I just, if you have a chance, if it's at all possible, um, Dr. Green and... Uh, Trina Epstein wrote a book called The Adventures of Stretch Moore. And and it's a wonderful book for younger children, either to read yourself or to read with your son. And it explains it explains these kids in a really enlightened, compassionate way. So that's okay. that's a possibility too. But just Try to hang in there. I know it's not easy. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Well, Susie, we Why haven't we given a call-in number yet. Yep. Okay, <laughs> I was just going to say. 
347-994-2981. Please press 1. There you go. Now we have some other, we have some cool emails here, some recent mm-hmm. arrivals. Um, so here we go. Let's jump right in. We don't have any other callers at the moment, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Here's email number one. As soon as it comes up on my screen. Uh, I would first like to say how thankful I am that the lives in the balance that I found the lives in the balance website. My question relates to the kids do all if they can versus kids do all if they wanna mentalities. My son, nine years old, is perfect in school, never in trouble, straight A's, respectful, and always well behaved. The staff cannot even fathom that he would have a crossword or any kind of tantrum. At home, he has constant meltdowns, slamming chairs, kicking and punching doors, screaming, the list goes on. I am so confused as he exhibits do well if he wants to in school, but at home it's like night and day. In looking at the ALSIP, the answers would be totally the opposite at home versus school. He cares about the consequences at school, but not at home. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, how to make it better, and how I'm failing him. He has coping Behavior, adaptability, self-control outside of the home. I'm sure it's frustrating for him, and at home he knows it's safe and we love him no matter what. I just want him to be happy. We also have two girls. One 11 years old is a screamer. The 13-year-old is a sulker. Let's see if we can help this mom. Um, Great. First of all, it's not unusual for kids to um, look different in different environments. It's not unusual. Sometimes that's because the demands in one environment are more manageable for the kid than the demands in another environment. Put that the reverse way. There are demands in one environment that are tapping into skills the kid is lacking that the other environment is not tapping into. That's not uncommon. Unsolved problems, expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting, do tend to vary from one environment to another, so it's not unusual for there to be expectations that a kid is having difficulty meeting in one environment that don't even apply to another environment. But I don't know if that's what's going on. There are lots of kids who are able to keep themselves very tightly wrapped at school or outside of the home and then decompensate when they're inside the home because nobody can keep themselves really tightly wrapped all the time. Um, Now, the interesting thing is a lot of people would look at the scenario that this mom is describing and say, well, this is clearly the fact that the parents are passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarians and the folks at school are doing it right. But seldom do I find, if ever, do I find that to be an accurate point of view? More often, I find that there are skills being demanded at home that are not being demanded at school. Expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting at home that the kid is not having difficulty meeting at school. Medication that a kid is on at school that has worn off by the time the kid is home. So we have two completely different kids. And or a kid who is keeping himself very tightly wrapped at school, and falling apart outside of that environment. I've actually had kids say to me, it would be very embarrassing to lose it at school, so I stay very 
tight at school and hold it together, but I don't have to hold it together at home. Now, that doesn't mean that the kid is taking advantage of these parents. It just means that you can't keep yourself tightly wrapped 24 hours a day. It also means that all of us look a lot better outside the home than we do in it. Those are generally the best explanations for why a kid looks completely different outside the home than inside the home. Now, Susie, you are familiar with this scenario in which while the kid may look worse inside the home, he's also not looking great outside the home. Um, And while um, we've got consistency there, it's also worse because the kid is having difficulty meeting expectations in more than one environment. So even though um, parents who have the scenario this mom is describing are at risk for being perceived as incompetent by outsiders, this is actually a better scenario. At least the kid is doing well outside the home. But that means we need to do an LSIP and figure out what the kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are that seem apparent inside the home environment, and we still need to get to work. Um, If he could do well in the home, he would do well in the home. Something's going on. We've got to figure out what it is. Um, But we don't want to get caught up in kids do all if they want to and simply assume that he wants to do well while he's at school and doesn't want to do well when he's at home. Why would he not want to do well when he's at home? Susie, any thoughts on that? Well, as you mentioned, my son was a classic case of this um though he did have difficulty uh meeting some expectations at school um but the afternoons and the evenings were horrific with you know six or seven meltdowns um and i i uh was concerned with this uh email I wrote to myself, what's getting in the way? What specific unsolved problems is the child having? Um, But I want to make sure that the mom has the right lenses on and that, you know, she sees this as lagging skills and demands for those skills. That's what's causing the challenging behavior um, rather than just, you know, focusing on the behavior. There you go. Mom, I hope that helps. Now there's some work to be done. Just because lagging skills and unsolved problems don't apply at school or don't appear to apply at school doesn't mean they aren't the real McCoy. We've got another caller. I'm not sure from where... Hold on. I think this could be from outside the U.S. Here we go. Fantastic. You're on the air. What's up? Hello? Maybe not. I thought that was Israel calling, but I'm not sure. Um, Let's move on to another email. Okay. I am writing about my 10-year-old son. We have just begun with CPS within the past week. My husband found the explosive child after we were called into the second meeting in as many weeks at school where 
My son had gotten into trouble when he lost his temper, and his teachers and administrators are concerned about the rage they saw in him when he had these episodes. We both read your book, and I had the feeling someone had been watching our family over the past several years. Mm-hmm. Being new to the process and having only just begun, my concern may be premature, but it is weighing on my mind. Most of the time when my son gets into trouble, not even a major blow-up or particularly big trouble, he denies any wrongdoing. Most recently, he said some things to his teacher about other students, which landed him in the principal's office, and he still denies he ever said anything. He will hit his sister, and even if I saw him do it, he will deny having done it. When he struck out in a recent wiffle ball game, he insisted that it was because the pitcher was throwing bad pitches on purpose so he couldn't hit them, even though he struck out because he never tried to swing. He will make up wild stories and be incensed if anyone questions their validity. Not sure how to get his legitimate concerns on the table when he won't be honest about events that happened. Any suggestions will be much appreciated. Well, we always have suggestions on this program. And here's the deal. Unsolved problems do not involve talking with your son about events that happened. Events that happened tend to be behaviors, and kids tend to clam up and become defensive when we are talking with them about their behaviors. What we want to talk with them about is the expectations they're having difficulty meeting. So one of the most common things that happens when we talk with kids about their behavior is um, they deny it, which is the most primitive of defense mechanisms. It didn't happen. The good news is when you're doing the empathy step of plan B on an unsolved problem, You're probing for information about the kid's concern or perspective or point of view on the expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting, not on the maladaptive behavior he exhibited. And what I find, believe it or not, is that I almost never come across kids fabricating or denying in the context of the empathy step of plan B. And I think that's almost totally, yes, I'm I'm coming in with a different posture than adults frequently come in with when they are talking with a kid about his behavior. I'm not mad. He's not in trouble. Um, I'm not going to tell him what to do. But I'm talking with him about something completely different. So what we need is a list of unmet expectations. We don't want a list of behaviors. He's not going to talk if we're talking with him about his behaviors. A lot of kids won't. Plus... A behavior isn't an unsolved problem anyways. So that's not even what we want to be talking with him about, even if he would talk about it. We want to talk with him about expectations. So now, what's making me curious here is, what expectation was he having difficulty meeting when he lost his temper at school and people became concerned about his rage? Um What is it? What expectation is he getting in trouble for, whether it leads to a major blow-up or particularly big trouble or not? Um, What was going on between him and the other students? What expectation was he having difficulty meeting that landed him in the principal's office? So, you know, if the principal is talking about behavior or you and he feels like he's in trouble, he's either not going to talk or he's going to move to the most primitive of defense mechanisms, denial. Luckily, 
behavior isn't even what we want to talk with him about. We're going to have to rewind the tape. We're going to have to do what I call paddling upstream to the unsolved problems, also known as unmet expectations, that are causing those behaviors, that are causing him to lose his temper, that are causing him to get into trouble, that are causing him to get sent to the office. We're looking for unsolved problems, not behaviors. It's a little harder, but the likelihood is that you will have a kid who's talking to you when you do it. Susie, you're up. Um, I, my son was uh, very nonverbal, so it it um, it was our responsibility to help teach him a vocabulary for when he was starting to feel angry, upset, frustrated, um, and that helped a lot. He also uh, was able, we had worked out proactively with his guidance counselor or teacher um, that he was allowed to take a break when he was starting to feel upset and frustrated, take a break from the class, and he went down to the guidance counselor's office and just uh, calmed himself down, and then he resumed uh, the class. Um, another thing that was helpful to me was uh, bringing in a copy, a blank copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems and meeting with the teacher um, or guidance counselor, school psychologist, and um, showing what we were, what model of care we were doing at home, and how how it was helping. Um, I know it's it's challenging. My son was slippery and would change his story, um, so. Uh, I I know that it you know it's just a, a hard situation that a lot of parents with uh, challenging children have. You know, kids aren't the only ones who sometimes fabricate to get themselves out of trouble. Yes. Sometimes adults do the same thing. Right. Right. You are. Let's do another email here. Um, the question is, who has done research on inflexible, explosive children other than Dr. Ross Green, who exposed this condition about 15 years ago? There's actually six questions here. We'll answer them one at a time. Truth is, inflexible, explosive children is intended to be a descriptive term. Uh, you're not going to find that exact term in the diagnostic manual. You might find intermittent explosive disorder in the diagnostic manual. It has not been especially well-researched. You'll find oppositional defiant disorder in the diagnostic manual since the 1980s, and um, that's been sort of well-researched. Um, the next question is, is inflexibility explosiveness recognized as a disability in the educational system? No. 
That's because we're not shooting for a diagnosis here. We're looking to be descriptive. We're not looking to be categorical. We're just looking to describe a certain set of kids who look a certain way under certain conditions. Next question, 2A, if IE is not addressed in the school system, how can a child be protected from discrimination? Well, we'll have to make sure that uh, if we need to protect the kid that we go with a label that is recognized by the school system, even if inflexible explosive is not. Number three, is there an advocacy group for inflexible explosive children? Sure, lives in the balance the sponsor of this radio program. You can find out all about it through the website, livesinthebalance.org, that you were on when you submitted your questions. Is IE considered a part of the autism spectrum? Nope. Since IE is not a diagnosis and not a category, so just a description, it's not part of any diagnostic uh, label. Are there many kids who are labeled with autism spectrum disorders who are also inflexible and explosive? Oh, yes. But there are lots of different pathways to being flexible and explosive besides being on the autism spectrum. What help is available for being inflexible and explosive, such as occupational therapy, etc.? Well, it depends on what factors are causing the kid to be inflexible and explosive in the first place. The help would be determined by the factors that are setting the stage for the kid to respond to frustration in that way. And finally, number six, is inflexible explosive a predecessor to more progressive diagnoses such as oppositional defiant disorder, bipolar disorder, psychosis, mm. I wouldn't consider those progressive diagnoses. I would consider those to be traditional diagnoses that are based on a kid's behavior and that are very categorical and that have certain rigid criteria associated with them and that I find frequently don't capture what's really going on with a kid. And in that respect, Inflexible explosive, even though it's descriptive, isn't ideal either. I'd much rather talk about the skills a kid is lacking and the expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting than any label, even if the label is descriptive and whether or not the label finds itself in the DSM. Truth is, there's a lot of labels that are applied to inflexible explosive kids that I wouldn't I wouldn't go near. Manipulative, attention seeking, coercive, unmotivated, limit testing, chain yanking, etc. Not a big label guy. I find that these kids really come to life when we figure out what skills they're lacking. The lagging skills that are setting the stage for them to be inflexible and explosive and what expectations they're having difficulty meeting. Those expectations in the CTS model are called unsolved problems, and probably the biggest favor you can do a behaviorally challenging kid, an inflexible explosive kid, if you will, is figure out what skills he's lacking, figure out what his unsolved problems are, and start solving problems collaboratively 
and proactively? There's the answers to those questions. Those were great questions. Thank you for emailing them in. Susie, any thoughts on any of that? I just wanted to say what helped me most about the collaborative and proactive solutions model was that it helped me to recognize that it was a family problem, not just blaming my son. And um, that was that was just huge. I uh, or blaming me as well. Um, that gave me hope and something that I could really work with. Um, I think there's a there's a phrase that you use problems in living and that was just a great way to help and understand our son. I wish I could take credit for problems in living, but uh, that term was uh, coined by somebody a heck of a lot smarter than me a long time ago, and older than me too, uh, Dr. Thomas Satz. But um, boy, I'm in good company if um, people are putting me in the same category as him. <laughs> um, but he was brilliant, and he recognized that, um, well, life is full of problems, Knowing how to solve those problems is a crucial skill. Um, if all we're doing is telling kids what to do and punishing them when they don't do it, we ain't teaching nothing. Right. We do not go ahead. We do not have enough time for another question on today's program. So I think we are going to end it. Susie, you'll have to get to me with some thoughts about how we should celebrate our 200th edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Um, we can put it out there to our Facebook groups as well, but um, I think we should do something to celebrate. 200 is a good number. And um, after that, once again, um, we're going to go to once a, week, a month moving forward. We've got a huge listening library at this point. It's bursting at the seams. We're probably in good shape there. And... Um, once a month ought to help us take care of the emails and the phone calls. We'll see how that goes. But our next program after next week, which is November 21st, we'll make sure that it's our U.S. Thanksgiving special. Um, we'll go to once a month beginning in December. So, Susie, thanks as always for doing the program. Thank you. Take and, care. And um, we'll catch up with you next week. Take care. <laughs>